baseball fans. It's time to take a trip from coast to coast across Major League Baseball. There it goes, a long drive. If it stays fair, home run. One strike away. Sandy into his windup. Here's the pitch. Swung out and missed a perfect game. Fly ball deep left center. Grissom on the run. Yes, yes, yes. The Atlanta Braves have given you a championship. Listen to this crowd. Braves and baseball talk straight from the diamond. Here's Grant McCauley. Hello again, and welcome to another episode of From the Diamond. As always, I'm Grant McCauley, and it's time for our weekly chat about what's going on with the Atlanta Braves, who just kind of limped their way through another tough week. we got a lot to get into. A series against the Marlins that did not go according to plan. A series against the Red Sox that went even more not according to plan. And now a big four-game set underway against the Cardinals at Truist Park before a big road trip that's looming. We'll get into all of that, all of the highs and the lows and the headlines from the week that was for the Atlanta Braves in just a moment as I welcome Gabe Burns of the Atlanta Journal-Constitution back into the show. Before I do that, I want to remind you, you can find From the Diamond on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. Leave a rating and a review, and if you like what you hear, be sure to tell a friend and share the podcast. We do appreciate that. You can find me on Twitter at Grant McCauley, G-R-A-N-T-M-C-A-U-L-E-Y. The show is at From the Diamond underscore. Over on Instagram, I am at Grant McCauley there. And the show is at From the Diamond with no underscore on the end. And if you're looking for a great place to keep up with every episode of the podcast, as well as articles and videos and anything else I got going on, FromTheDiamond.com is the place to do that. So to talk about the week that was for the Atlanta Braves, I want to welcome Gabe Burns of the Atlanta Journal-Constitution back into the show as always. You can follow his work on Twitter, at AJC. Gabe, another tough week for the Braves since last we talked. They dropped a series to the Marlins. They got swept in a brief two-game set against the Red Sox in a very frustrating fashion. And even with a win over the Cardinals on Thursday, Atlanta finds itself looking up at the Mets and the Phillies in the NLE standings. Not the week that Brian Snitker's club had in mind. No, but, uh, you know, when I got off here last week, I said we kind of we knew what this week would entail, and it, it was essentially what it usually is. Just a couple of high moments, a lot of frustrating losses, and, and it's left them. You know, as we sit here, there are four games under five hundred, which has been kind of a recurring theme this season. So mm-hmm. it feels like it's just more of the same. It does, and I think we're kind of waiting for that pendulum to swing back the other way, I guess, if you want to call it that, because the Braves, they've seen 500 quite a few times this year, I think almost half a dozen times this year. They haven't been able to climb over 500, which is something we detailed quite a bit on last week's show. But something else we talked about on last week's show was that Tucker Davidson had been quite the bright spot for the Braves as he came up from the minor leagues, was getting an opportunity to start every fifth day, and looked very good in doing so. And I think we kind of joked about this this week, but... You know, what were the Braves going to need from Tucker Davidson? Well, they might have to find out and just kind of pitch him till he falls apart, I think was what we said last week. And unfortunately, we saw that happen in his start against the Red Sox, who jumped on him in the first inning for four runs on Tuesday. But to make matters worse, Davidson had to leave that game in the third inning with what was later diagnosed as a left forearm strain. So now he's on the injured list, and the Braves are going to have to make alternate plans yet again for that spot in rotation, at least for the immediate future. And Gabe, I feel bad for Tucker Davidson, obviously, and for the Braves. This is just yet another hurdle that their rotation is going to try to clear. Yeah, it's really unfortunate for him, obviously. He was having a great start to the season. He had kind of earned a rotation spot pretty much as firmly as one of these guys can get one right now, considering. 
uh, the circumstances, but it was just a really unfortunate break for him. Um, you wanted to continue to see him, especially in a year. You know, we're not really sure where this team's going to end up going, but it would certainly benefit them to evaluate guys like Tucker and Bryce and, and see if they can fit in in the longer-term plan or even the 2022 plan. Again, not that we're writing this season off, but no. that evaluation is important. And Tucker was helping the team right now. I mean, he was he was stabilizing things. He had had two really strong starts. And so, yeah, I mean, it's just unfortunate to see him uh, go down, and, and hopefully it's something he'll return from soon. Yeah, the MRI on Davidson's forearm showed no structural damage. That's certainly a good thing. He is going to rest for about a week and a half, then the Braves are going to reevaluate him. And I guess in the meantime, Bryce Wilson should be in line for more starting opportunities with Davidson sideline. We talked a little bit about Bryce on the show throughout the year. In his handful of opportunities lately, especially in the month of May, he looked quite good. We also, though, got our first look at big lefty Kyle Muller, who made his major league debut against Boston on Wednesday night. And I think it's safe to say he's been Atlanta's most impressive pitching prospect of late, at least as far as ones who could impact the big league season. But Muller has been optioned back down already. He made his debut in relief, but Gabe, I kind of think he has a role to play here in 2021. What do you think? Yeah, he does have a role. I, I think he might be making his first career start next week, potentially, and obviously a pretty big game against the Mets. I, I would yeah. guess that he's starting one of those Monday doubleheader games. But, yeah, I mean, he has a part to play. Look, he was really good his last three starts down there, 20 strikeouts and four walks. You know, a lot of Braves fans – do a really good job following prospects. You know, Braves mm-hmm. fans really get into it. And so I'm sure that a lot of you know just kind of what the story on him has been command-wise and and just how really tantalizing the physical ability is with him. You get a guy who's – he's listed 6'7", 250. He told us he's more like 265, yeah. um, which checks out. So uh, 6'7", 265 guy, uh, lefty, pumping high 90s. <laughs> that's somebody with some real talent. So we'll see, you know, how those off-speed pitches come along. We'll see if he can make it as a starter long-term. But right now, you know, he had three really nice outings in AAA, and he came up, and his debut, it was in a tough spot. It was not great. Um, I will say at least he did complete the inning. He got out of it, and I, at Boston only they scored two runs. It could have been worse. So, you know, you can give him a little credit there. I mean, obviously he's amped up. He's nervous. There's a lot of, you know, mental factors in play there too. And, yeah, I think he has a part to play. And I I think that, you know, if the Braves continue to slip in the NL East as they have, again, they'll have an opportunity to really evaluate him under less pressure circumstances. And, obviously, they hope that doesn't become the case. What they hope is that he's – a reason that they're staying in the race, which would be great for everybody involved. But I certainly think one way or another, however this Braves season trends, I, I think Muller's going to be a part of it, and evaluating him is going to be just a big part of the process. Yeah, and the Tucker Davidson injury opens the door a little bit more for that. We know Bryce Wilson's around. We know Kyle Wright's also around. We haven't seen him in a hot minute, though, but I would imagine before the year's over we could see him again, depending on how he's throwing in Gwinnett and, of course, what the club needs at the big league level. But you know, this rotation, which they tried to address in the offseason by bringing in a couple of veterans, it still has not been able to really find the consistency in terms of just sending the same group of guys out there every fifth day that I'm sure they were hoping for this year. But we'll see where Kyle Muller, well, where Bryce Wilson, and where perhaps Tucker Davidson by the time all said and done is back in this thing. And of course, there are other names to consider that we'll get to later on in the show as well. But a setback for the Braves when it comes to Tucker Davidson. We really liked the way he was throwing. 
ran into some trouble. I mean, didn't make a bad pitch to Rafael Devers on the three-run homer in the first inning, but the injury really takes the shine off what had been a real bright spot for the Braves over the past couple of weeks as they were letting Tucker Davidson get that opportunity. And I thought, Gabe, it was interesting. You know, a lot of times we see guys get called up, they make a start, then they immediately get optioned back down to Gwinnett. The Braves were pretty much holding on to Tucker Davidson. He was getting that spot every fifth day, and I think that's no small thing, that the Braves really wanted to see what they had here. So another unfortunate injury. This one a little bit more traditional, if you want to call it that. The Waskari Noah injury was obviously a little bit more out of frustration, but the Braves have given some of their young guns a chance this year to step in. It just seems like, for whatever reason, there are circumstances that are beyond the team's control and the individual's control that seem to be conspiring against them when it comes to getting that consistency, that continuity and maintaining that opportunity throughout the year. Yeah, that's the season in a nutshell. Um, just a lot of things kind of out of their control going against them, and it's what's left them, you know, four games under five hundred. And, you know, the Mets have a six-and-a-half game cushion over them. I don't know how – to be honest with you, I don't know how concerned – I can't speak for Mets fans, but I don't know how concerned they are about the Phillies. If I'm a Mets fan, I'm probably watching to see where the Braves are in the standings. Mm-hmm. Just, you know, you, I'm sure that other – fans and other teams expect them to eventually go on a run and you would rather bury them now than you know to see them kind of have a big July or something and hop back into this thing so yeah you made a good point with Tucker the fact that he stayed up and he got to experience major league life just you know the everyday thing instead of being sent back down to Gwinnett you know I think that's a good experience for those guys too I mean oftentimes we do forget their people and that's part of it going on a road trip is part of it those kind of experiences, all of that just kind of comes together. It's just part of becoming a major leaguer. So they gave him an opportunity to really experience that kind of stuff. And again, you know, hopefully he comes back and he's healthy and he's a guy who can continue to help the rotation. Yeah, and you mentioned as far as Kyle Muller was concerned, his major league debut, which occurred on a Wednesday, we talked about it briefly. I did think it was under some strange circumstances because we've seen guys come up before that have not gotten to pitch in the games, and then they get optioned back down to Gwinnett at the end of the night, and I think it leaves fans scratching their heads on why do you bring a guy up here and then not pitch him for a while. And that's happened a few different times that I can think of, but a lot of times it just turns into it's just the extra arm that you need for the day. With Muller, it seemed like there might be a purpose to his Major League debut in having him be a multi-inning reliever, and it was still a close game in the middle frames, and I was kind of surprised that Kyle Muller was the first guy in when the bullpen door opened he did have a little bit of a shaky debut. There were a couple of well-hit balls by the Red Sox in there, and it wasn't a bad debut, but I was just curious, with a guy coming in, making his big league debut in a one-run game against a lineup like that, as you mentioned, Gabe, in the fifth inning, given everything that's been going on in the Atlanta bullpen, I'm not sure that there is ever a clear answer to any question, just to be fair, but it seemed like an odd place for Kyle Muller to make his major league debut, did it not? Yeah, it was unexpected. I did not expect to see him there. I don't think many people did. Uh, again, you're right. It's one of those things where I'm not totally sure what the answer is because Snit said they wanted to use him before the weekend because, again, I, I think he's going to be starting on Monday. But it's where they decided to put him. I mean, it was not an ideal circumstance. Tight game there early and against a lineup like that. But I think ultimately, again, it, it wasn't a great outing, but he was able to kind of limit it. He didn't let it spiral out of control. And I, I do think that there's something to be said for that, you know, um, especially given the nerves, given the situation, given the lineup he was facing. I mean, that thing could have gotten a lot worse. And it could have ended with Snit going out there and lifting him before the inning was over, but he at least finished the inning. So 
I'm not even going to say it's not what I would have done because I can't play that game without knowing, you know, how really things continue to transpire. Mm-hmm. My initial thought is, no, I wouldn't have put him in there. But again, I mean, it's one of those things that it's just tough when we're looking at this stuff where, you know, where some of these guys are going to slot in. And But certainly it was not an easy spot for him and it was not an expected spot for him to make his debut. Yeah, unexpected, I think, would be the word I'd put on it, just in terms of the timing, not that he was going to pitch in that game at all, but that it came in the fifth inning in a one-run game. He did get in at bat in as well, and I've been kind of excited to see Kyle Muller hit. I know that sounds ridiculous because it's a pitching prospect that's had very limited at-bats throughout his minor league life, but if you flash back to five years ago when Kyle Muller was drafted along with Ian Anderson, Muller and also Joey Wins, both these guys could certainly hit, and that was a big highlight for it. But you knew they were drafted as pitchers. That's what they were going to be doing. But as you mentioned, Kyle Muller, not a small man. six foot seven, 265 pounds. Apparently, he put on a little bit of a show in BP at Truist Park before the game. So I was mildly excited to see if he could get into one because Major League debut aside, that has to be a thrill for a kid like Kyle Muller to step in there and test his metal a little bit at the plate because I think he still takes a decent amount of pride in his hitting. No, he was putting on a show. I mean, he uh, he homered um, some deep homers too. Like it was, <laughs> and it was pretty impressive. You know, uh, I'm actually looking forward to seeing him hit more. Um, I hope we get to see, again, this is probably the last year that we're going to watch these guys hit. So I hope we have some opportunities to watch him get some good swings on it here for the rest of the summer because obviously, again, a 6'7", 265 guy stepping in there and, <laughs> and swinging like that with the power that, you know, he, he showed in BP. We'll see if he ever hits one out or anything or even, you know, doubles to the wall, but it'd be pretty exciting to see it. I think it would be, and we'll see if that's something that transpires over the course of the summer. Of course, for the Braves, I think they're a little bit more concerned about the lineup all hitting at one time than Kyle Muller's potential for stepping in there and becoming an extra bat, if you will, at the bottom of the order. But that aside, you know, Gabe, I would love to go a week on the show without discussing the struggles of the Braves' bullpen, but I'm here to tell you that this is not that week. After fighting to tie up the game on Tuesday, the Red Sox touched up Chris Martin in a three-run eighth inning to go ahead for good and win that game. And then on Wednesday, it was a little bit of deja vu all over again, to quote Yogi Berra. Braves took the lead in the sixth inning on a Freddie Freeman homer. Shane Green ran into some trouble. He had two outs in the bases loaded in the seventh. A.J. Minter came in and surrendered a two-out pinch hit grand slam that sent Boston to the eventual win in that game as well. And just kind of looking at this from 30,000 feet, I know Green hasn't been here for long, so it's hard for me to fault him. He hasn't had a whole lot of opportunities to, you know, really knock the rust off and get out there and be in the competitive field that you'd want him to be as we approach the middle of June. That is what it is. It's well-documented. Martin and Minter, though, were expected to be a couple of Atlanta's best relievers from opening day on. And those two innings against Boston were just kind of a snapshot of the Braves' bullpen in 2021 where nothing seems to go according to plan. Yeah, Martin, I think it was two out of three um, appearances were pretty rough. Yeah. And then Mentor, uh, man, it's uh, this is a guy who last year rebounded and, and really looked like the guy we thought he was going to be. And, you know, he's hit a rough patch. And Shane Green, again, yeah, w- with that one, you want to see, you know, a larger sample size of him. Obviously, he's better than what he showed so far, but certainly this is not how he wanted to start things off. Yeah, I, I mean, again, you're looking at this bullpen kind of has six key guys. You know, obviously adding Luke Jackson. I mean, Luke Jackson's been their most consistent reliever. I know fans like to pick on him and everything, but I think he's allowed runs in only three of his 29 appearances. Right. Um, he's been their guy and hasn't always been pretty. The style points aren't there all the time, but, I mean, he's been their most consistent kind of reliable guy at this point. And 
uh, that's a credit to him. And it's, it's also kind of speaking to the rest of the bullpen. It just, the consistency hasn't really been there with, with many guys. There's just been spurts, you know, they'll have several good outings and then, and then there'll just be one meltdown. And, and now you're looking at like what's happening with Martin, what's happening with mentor. It's just this, another, just a little stretch of this. And, uh, I mean, it's another one of many reasons why the Braves are where they are. And at this point, you know, you're, you're sitting here and you're wondering, is this going to click? Are we going to see a point where this bullpen just comes together and these guys are just firing on all cylinders together? And, I mean, realistically, that's probably not going to happen. But you just have to cross your fingers, I guess, that you're just going to avoid these kind of meltdown outings. And I know they happen to every reliever. Nobody's immune to them. But some of them have been kind of strung together for this team. Some of these moments have just come at inopportune times. I mean, you look at what happened with Will Smith in Philly, um, the Luke Williams home run, right? Yeah. <laughs> you know, he gets two outs, and it's one pitch, and then they lose. You know, again, it's not making excuses for him. None of them have been uh, particularly great outside of Jackson. So I don't really know what the answer is because you know how good these guys can be. And, again, I feel like we hammer this home every week, but mm-hmm. I, we're just going to say it again here, I guess. And, and you can add your thoughts to what I'm saying, but – We know how good these guys can be. You just need your players to perform consistently up to what you know they're capable of. And I don't think that, again, we'll talk about the trade deadline and we can talk about acquiring relievers. Quite frankly, it might be a moot point by the trade deadline for this team. You're not going to be trading for a rental reliever if you're 10 games out, which is a possibility. Um, With all of these games coming up against the Mets and everything, it's, it's certainly on the table. So, You're not going to buy just sudden reliability in the bullpen. You just have to figure out whatever you have to do to get really the consistency and the most out of these guys you have because you know that they're capable of it. It's not a situation where you have guys who are just journeymen who you're just throwing something together like no offense, but somebody like Nate Jones, you know, guys like that, Carl Edwards, guys. I mean, these guys are people who you've seen really high ceilings for, and they just have to figure out how to avoid these low lows. Yeah, and there have been quite a few low lows, and that's not just repeating the word. It's the highest of highs, the lowest of lows. Maybe that's the way to put it. But for the Braves' bullpen, I mean, consistency has been the big problem for him. You start to look at the stats in Major League Baseball now with over, what, 60, 65 games in the books for every single team now. Braves are 9-18 and 18 out of the bullpen with an ERA approaching 5. That's 25th in Major League Baseball. There are 18 losses out of the bullpen. That's tied for the most in MLB. And it's not surprising that that's kind of been the downfall of the Braves in a lot of games. And that's not to point the finger solely at the bullpen. There are nights where the pitching staff does a good job and the offense doesn't hit. It's really seemed to be too much of one or not enough of another on a particular night for the Braves to overcome. And that's really been the story of the 2021 Braves. And I guess it goes back to that word again, consistency. The Braves simply aren't getting that. And it's not just Will Smith or A.J. Minter or Chris Martin in particular. You know, there have been times where the starting rotation hasn't put the Braves' bullpen in a position where they could close out and maybe just get the final five or six or seven outs of a game. They've had to cover some more innings, but hey, that's baseball in 2021, Gabe. I think everybody's kind of trying to figure that out. We're not getting two or three complete games a week anymore, so this is just something where, as you pointed out, you're not going to be able to walk out there and make a trade or two trades or maybe even three trades. Even though the Braves did that a couple of years ago, I just don't think you can expect that to fix what is ailing Atlanta this year because eventually some of these guys you have in-house, really most of these guys you have in-house, they just have to pitch up to their ability. Yeah, and with that situation a couple of years ago, I mean, they just they just didn't have enough guys. Like, they yeah. just didn't have enough good guys 
um, guys that you know can do this. Like this year, I mean, they basically have six guys that you know that they can do this. They just need to do it. And Will Smith has not consistently done it since he's been here. So anyone that's kind of keeping really high expectations of him, I mean, you might want to just go ahead and and lower them at this point. That's not to insult him. He was an all-star with the Giants that year, and he was dynamite, and he hasn't really been that here. And that doesn't mean he still can't be a valuable piece of this bullpen, but it's probably not going to be, you know, what he was that last year in San Francisco. Chris Martin, again, we've seen like he was really, really good for this team when he came back from the injured list. And him missing a month was really big. That really hurt the bullpen. And now, you know, he's hit a lull and you expect him to come out of it. And then you just keep running down the list. But they have guys who are capable. They don't need to remake the entire bullpen. And I'm not sure, you know, maybe if I went down the Twitter hole, I'd find people requesting that the bullpen be remade. But I haven't really seen anybody doing that. Uh, So you just have to figure out what you can do to get the the most out of these guys, what you can do to, to help them and, really just stabilize and find that consistency. And really at this point, when you're, you're still talking about consistency and these guys are healthy now, I, I'm not sure if it's going to come. There's still time for it to come, but I mean, just uh, just looking at it logically, this might be something they're dealing with all year. And if it doesn't really improve, and this is just something that you and I are on here talking about in September, uh, this team's probably going to be out. Let me ask you this, because I think it's a fair question after you've had a number of seasons with a particular pitching coach. I mean, this hasn't been problematic for the Braves year after year in terms of their bullpen. Clearly, there have been some personnel changes this year. You didn't have Shane Green at the start of the year. Mark Melanson's closing games for the San Diego Padres. I know Mark Melanson would make a difference in the Braves bullpen overall, but some of these games are being lost well before you get to the ninth inning, which is where Melanson would be pitching, and that just kind of is what it is. But Rick Kranitz has had quite a while with some of these pitchers, and I think the best way I heard this described was by Tim Hudson, and this was probably 15 or so years ago when everybody was wondering, hey, what's going to be the difference now that Leo Mazzoni is gone and Roger McDowell has come in? And Tim Hudson said, you know, a lot of this is just trying to massage egos and help guys get through it. You're not teaching them how to pitch again. They got here because they know how to pitch, but some of it is just trying to you know, combat the mental game, which I think is probably taking a toll on quite a few brace relievers at this point because they're not living up to their expectations either, and I'm sure they're carrying that out onto the field, even if it's just subconsciously. Yeah, I mean, that's part of the conversation. It's just like we talk about it with some of the hitters too. I mean, you get frustrated, you know what you're capable of, and you know that you're underperforming. I mean, these guys aren't clueless. They know that they're underperforming. Think about how competitive pro athletes are, right? Yeah. You know, it would be like me writing a story and – I'm looking at it and going, this isn't how I want to do this. And I'm, you know, I'm deleting stuff. I'm rewriting. I'm moving graphs around. Except pro athletes are a million times more competitive than pretty much about anybody else. Yeah. Uh, so for them to, you know, go out there and if you're Will Smith, you give up a game-winning homer. If you're Chris Martin, you have those two dreadful outings. If, you know, your mentor, you give up the grand slam in that spot. I mean, these guys are – and it's embarrassing. And you have people like us sitting here talking about it. You have, you know, fans, I'm sure they know what fans are saying. I mean, I, I don't look, look, anybody who's tweeting at a player, I mean, just stop. Don't do that. But, uh, yeah, I mean, just sidebar there. But come on, guys. Like, that's loser stuff. Don't do that. But, uh, I mean, they see this stuff. I mean, it's tough for them. So, I mean, I'm not going to critique the job that Cranny has done. And there's 
plenty of time left, but certainly that's something that if things continue the way they're going, that's something that's going to be evaluated. Yeah, and a lot of teams will look at it and say, hey, it may not even be a complete indictment on what that pitching coach has done overall, but it may just be time for a change in the message. And that's the same thing with changing head coaches or managers or whatever in any in any sport. It's also something businesses do at times. And at the end of the day, yeah, I mean, this is a business. The Braves are going to have some business decisions to make. They always do, and they always will. It's just right now when the frustrations are mounting, I think that the criticism is a lot more pointed, and winning seems to cure a lot of ills. And just having some things go your way might take some of that pressure off and might start to allow guys to really you know, find that bit of a groove that they're looking for and turn some things around. I know you pointed out that with Will Smith or with whoever at this point, you can't necessarily expect a turnaround. But then you look at the larger body of work for whether it's Will Smith or Freddie Freeman, who we're about to talk about, some of these guys that clearly have been all-star level players. I would think that there's some of that left in the tank somewhere, unless we're talking about guys that are getting maybe late into their careers, that there is a chance for them. But they're going to have to figure it out, make those adjustments, and start piling up zeros in the case of Will Smith. And for Freddie Freeman, maybe start collecting a few base hits. And in, in saying that, Freddie Freeman is currently riding a seven-game hitting streak, and it doesn't sound like a lot, but this simply hasn't been his year for a variety of reasons we've talked about on this show. Over those last seven games, Freeman's 12 for 30, couple of doubles, three homers, seven runs knocked in, five runs scored, three walks, and get this, his batting average on balls in play is 429. So, Gabe, I like all those numbers, but that batting average on balls in play may be my favorite part. <laughs> It sure would be nice to see that number normalized because I think that would point to Freddie Freeman climbing back up to the level that we've become accustomed to when it comes to Freddie Freeman's numbers. Yeah, he was due a little luck. Things have looked better. You know, you watch him throughout the season. The frustration has been evident. Uh, Things have not gone his way. You can't chalk up everything to luck, but that has been a large part of his story. Uh, If you watch the Braves every night, you've seen a lot of hard hits that have left him empty-handed. And you've probably seen him get frustrated afterwards by it and because that does add up. And it's just like we were talking about uh, with the bullpen and, and the way these guys are competitors. I mean, this guy's the freaking reigning MVP, and he couldn't seem to catch a break. So, you know, it's good to see him kind of getting something going here and, and maybe things are starting to turn around. I think we all knew that eventually it would. I guess new is a strong word, especially with this team, but we all kind of expected and thought that it would eventually turn. And and maybe this is the start of that. And, and obviously, if the Braves are going to figure out a way to climb out of this hole, Freddie producing at the rate that they're really accustomed to would be a big part of that. That'd be a huge part of it. Now, for what it's worth, and as you talked about the frustrations of Freddie Freeman's season, and that might be an understatement at this point, he did have a three-strikeout night in the opener against Boston. And I say that because I really I had to tweet this after I saw it because his last punch out, I cannot remember a time when I saw Freddie Freeman take his frustrations out on the field, just purely having to just have a moment. After his ninth inning strikeout, Freeman immediately slammed his bat on the ground. So for anyone who was wondering when or if he was going to show some emotion out there again or if these struggles were bothering him as much as maybe it was bothering anyone watching, I think that moment would be pretty good confirmation, Gabe. Yeah, no, I mean, it's boiled over for him some. Like, I mean, he talked to reporters, when was that, two weeks ago? And, and mm-hmm. he was talking about how his dad was trying to basically calm him down and, and ease him. And He said, I'm tired of hearing about hard hits. I need results. You know, it's June. It's time to start getting some results. And, gosh, those Boston games, I can't imagine, you know, how frustrated guys were 
those were really long, messy games, you know? Mm -hmm. Uh, The second game was four hours and 10 minutes. And obviously they put just a ton of energy. You know, it was one thing if they had just been walloped 10 to nothing, but they put a ton of energy into that. They rallied. You know, they showed those traits that we used to see out of them, and they just couldn't finish it. So, I I mean, I can't imagine how exhausting uh, both of those games must have been for the team. No, it has to be. And like I said last week, I've been looking at Freddie Freeman's overall numbers in terms of what the rate stats are telling you. Walks and strikeouts, batting average on balls put in play, of course. His fly ball rate, his ground ball rate, his line drive percentage. I mean, there are some differences. He is hitting a few more ground balls this year than he did a year ago, but his doubles have really disappeared. I think that speaks a lot to the luck and the defensive arrangement of the opposing fielders as well. I mean, there's a little bit of everything has been kind of conspiring against Freddie Freeman this year, but I haven't seen him give away a lot of at-bats. I haven't seen an overall change in approach. His strikeout number hasn't skyrocketed. There's been a few more this year, but nothing that's alarming by any stretch of the imagination. But uh, just even looking through his Fangraphs page and seeing what his three-year projections are going forward at age 31 season this year, Freddie Freeman's still in the prime of his career, and I would expect him to kind of be there for the next, what, at least three years or so before maybe he starts to age out as most players do. But I don't know if the contract at this point is having a lot of impact on Freddie Freeman. I can't imagine he's not thought about it this year, but considering everything that's gone on for him over the last calendar year, I think that a lot of this may be mounting on Freddie Freeman a little bit more. And again, to use that word again, perhaps subconsciously, if nothing else, he's carrying around just a little bit more weight than he is at the start of a normal baseball season because we really haven't had normal in quite some time. Yeah, I think you did a good job summing it up there. I mean, the contract thing, it's a cloud that kind of looms over it. Yeah. Look, he's not thinking about his contract during his at-bats. When he rockets a line out to first, he's not thinking, oh, man, you know, and I'm a free agent after the season, you know. Uh, but it does loom over it. And, of course, it's something that he's thought about. And, you know, he's kind of quick to dismiss it whenever uh, it's kind of addressed with the media. And, you know, I don't really have a problem with him I mean, doing that. I mean, that's if that's how wow. he wants to handle it. Some guys say that they are open to negotiating during the season. He's clearly a guy who wants to leave that for after the games are played. And especially with his performance the way it's been. Uh, He's trying to right the ship. He's trying to get this team rolling again, and he's not really worried about what his payday in November or December looks like right now. But that does loom over it. And I don't know about how many prime years he has left. I always thought he was someone who would age pretty well. Yeah. And we've talked about that before. We've agreed on that. But and this year, there's just a lot that's gone against him. I don't, I don't certainly don't look at this year as any kind of sign of decline or anything. It's just, yeah. uh, so it's it's just a lot of factors at play here, and and it's easy to see why he would be just as all time level frustrated for him. Yeah, and I'm running into more and more tinfoil hat guys on the internet, and it may be the same guy over and over again, just creating accounts and getting banned. I'm not really sure, but either way, when I look at the overall for Freddie Freeman this year. The results aren't what you want. They're not what he wants. They're not what anybody wants. And there is an adequate amount of time this season for him to continue doing Freddie Freeman things and having some stuff start to fall in for him, to turn around for him. Maybe this recent hot streak is something where he kind of starts to get going, can carry some good momentum into the All-Star break, and then have a good second half. The Braves are going to need him to. There's no two ways about that. Forget about the contract extension for a moment. If you have any eyes on winning this year, making it to the playoffs and having a chance to win some this year, you're going to have to have Freddie Freeman in the middle of that for the Braves. 
especially when you consider the losses they've already suffered on offense when it comes to Marcelo Zuna, who's not going to be coming back anytime soon, if ever. And of course, losing Travis Darno didn't help matters either. The Braves' consistency of the offense that they had a year ago, which I know it was a 60-game sample. There was no guarantee they were going to keep up that pace for 162 games. But hey, that's what they're being asked to do this year. Freddie Freeman's going to have to be at the center of that. And I think that he certainly has the capability to do it. I don't look at this season as a clear sign that he's been declining at all. The stats just don't bear that out when you start to look at the rates and everything else that he's producing. It's the results that have not been what he's wanted or anybody else has to this point anyway. Uh, speaking of injuries and losses and things the Braves have had to overcome, Alex Anthopoulos provided some updates this week. He said starter Mike Soroka, catcher Travis Darno, and starter Waskari Noah could return sometime in August. Now, Gabe, I've said this before and I'll say it again. All three of these men, they have different timetables and Soroka may have the longest road back, but I can't help but think. This club is going to have to address some needs well before in advance of any or all of those men coming back to have a chance for any of them to have an impact in the second half, right? Yeah, I mean, you're not counting on any of these guys as like a late deadline acquisition that comes and helps the team down the stretch if they're still in it. I just don't think that's realistic. That's putting pressure on them. That's kind of putting unfair expectations on them because we don't know how any of these guys uh, will look when they get back. In the case of Anoa, he's still going to, once he you know gets healthy, he's going to have to start building up. It's still going to be a, a while for him, and who knows how he looks who knows where the team is, and who knows what their pitching situation looks like. You know, if mm-hmm. Davidson is back and rolling, I mean, it might be the smartest thing is to put Inoa in the bullpen. Given how good he was at the beginning of the year, but you look at the situation, I mean, maybe that's where they are. I mean, again, we don't know how he's going to look when he gets back. We knew that Inoa and Darno would be coming back this season, barring something unexpected. So, you know, that wasn't necessarily news. It was just, okay, they're still on mm-hmm. track to return. You know, in Darno's case, I believe it's August. Uh, we'll see about Anoa, how long it takes him to build up and everything. Soroka was the big story because, you know, he spoke with reporters and he kind of ran down on why he underwent exploratory surgery and, and what's been going on with his rehab. And, you know, he sounded optimistic or he sounded in good spirits, uh, I should say. And he said the Achilles is doing well. He definitely stopped short of talking about a timetable, which was a smart decision on his part. And obviously, he's a very smart kid. If you've listened to this podcast, you've heard me and Grant talk a lot about just how uh, mature and how insightful uh, Soroka's been, even since he was, you know, 19 or whatever. Could he return by the end of August? Sure. Personally, I still am not sure if he's going to be coming back. But the fact that the Braves haven't ruled it out leaves open the possibility. And I think, you know, maybe if he did come back, would it be in a bullpen capacity? We'll see. But I think depending on where the team is, I mean, it could be a big morale boost to get him back too. Uh, I don't think it would have a huge on-field impact realistically if he did come back simply because of how limited he would be. But obviously, regardless of where the team is, for him to come back and pitch this year, it would be a really good thing for the player and Again, this is a guy who essentially would go like two seasons without pitching if if he didn't. So it it would be nice for him to come back and maybe get some work in if he's healthy. Yeah, I mean, if he comes back in August, he's basically looking at having been out for a full year. So it's a lot of time lost for Mike Soroka. And in case you didn't hear all the details in this and you're just kind of trying to catch up on what exactly it was that really slowed Mike Soroka down this year, it wasn't just rehabbing from the Achilles. It was some arm issues that I think were a result of that. And when they had to go do exploratory surgery, I think anybody looked at that and said, hey, this is not good. I don't think he's going to pitch this year. And it was fair to wonder that because 
I'm pretty sure everybody was, including Mike Soroka, but it was a fairly rare complication that was causing him some discomfort in the surgically repaired Achilles, or at least the calf, because his body had rejected the sutures, which are normally absorbed after surgery. So now that that little issue has been fixed, that was what was causing the lingering discomfort. The good news is the Achilles itself, as Soroka pointed out, is healed. They've corrected the problem that he was dealing with with the sutures, and now Mike's going to have to ramp up and strengthen that calf, which of course is atrophied at this point. That's going to be a significant, I would imagine, at least a number of weeks, if not a couple of months, obviously, at this point, because we're in the middle of June. Two months from now, we're in the middle of August, by some very common-sense logic and math. But there is no exact timetable that's been put down on it. The real thing for him, I think, is just checking those boxes, maintaining, staying healthy. I know he's doing a throwing exercise in which his leg is elevated, and he's able to keep his arm going, but he's going to have limitations regardless of when he comes back, if he can come back this year. And I know he wants to pitch in 2021, and I do think it'd be a huge morale boost for the Braves to get him back. But I think if you're being realistic about it, you have to look at Mike Soroka returning this year as a bonus. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. It's a bonus, and it, and it's just they're not going to do anything that jeopardizes him. No. And, and, you know, he's already had setbacks. His body has already had issues here in, in his young career. And they're not people that, well, will they, you know, if they're in the race, they're, their standing as a team, quite frankly, really has nothing to really do with this, I don't think. I, I think it's just a matter of you want him to pitch if he's mm-hmm. healthy. It will benefit him to be out there pitching again, even if the team's 30 games out. Yeah. So, and it's not like if they're in it, he comes back, he's not going to be a guy who swings the race realistically, just given his limitations and and how careful they're going to be. And I would expect it to be a, as a reliever, we'll see, or, or maybe just making really short starts at yeah. first. We'll see you know, how many outings he even has. And I feel like I'm getting ahead of myself even talking about that. But yeah, absolutely. the bottom line is it's encouraging that the Achilles is okay. It's encouraging that he is still in good spirits. Um, that he's being careful, he's being diligent, and they're going to do this right. And if that means that he makes three or four appearances in September, great. If that means that he just builds up with an eye toward 2022, as long as he does that and he's healthy going into the year, then that's great too. So they obviously have his best interests in, and it's good that everything seems to be okay with him physically and mentally. Yeah, both of those, physically, mentally, both. There's a lot of boxes that have to be checked for Mike Soroka before he steps back on a mound in a major league game and is put out there to go do the thing that he wants to do more than anybody, and that's go out and compete. What limitations he may have, it's easy to know that there are going to be some. What exactly they'll be, we don't know. But again, when we talk about swinging the momentum of the race, that would be a very unfair expectation to have of Mike Soroka, no matter how much you enjoy what this kid has shown us over the first couple of years, three years of his major league career, he is coming back from an injury that has proven to be troublesome at the very least for him. And now he's just going to go back to work, which is something that Mike Soroka knows all about. He's one of the hardest working kids you can be around. And as Gabe pointed out, and as we've talked about on this show, also one of the smartest pitchers that you're ever going to find. So I'm sure that he is itching to get back out of the mound and start competing again, but he's going to have to do it as time allows, and as he's able to advance through the physical part of his rehab, because I know mentally he's certainly been dealing with a lot as well. And uh, again, best wishes to Mike as he's on the road to recovery. Uh, Taking a look at the standings as we head into the weekend and we wrap up this show in the National League. Gabe, you talked about this earlier. The Mets have now opened up a a six-and-a-half game lead through the games of Thursday. So heading into this weekend as the Braves are playing the Cardinals at Truist Park. But it's not just the Mets who are on top of the Braves in the standings. It is now the Phillies who have... One seven out of ten, while the Braves have lost six out of ten, and the Phillies are four and a half games back in second place. They're at five hundred on the year, 
as the Mets are nine games over and nine games up on the Braves in the loss column if you're scoring it that way. Braves at 31 and 35. Nationals right on their heels, a half game back in fourth place at 30 and 35. And then the Marlins, they're nine and a half games back. And it's crazy to say this, but I'll just kind of point it out. The Braves are closer to last place than they are to first place in the middle of June. That's not exactly what they had in mind heading into 2021. Yeah, if you had told someone in June the Braves would be closer to the Marlins than the Mets in the standings, I think people would have assumed that the Marlins kind of took a step forward and the Mets right. fell completely apart again. <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, it's we're at the point you can watch the standings now, and it's concerning. I mean, the Mets have a really good team, and they've been missing some key guys. I think they're about to get Conforto back. Carrasco still hasn't pitched. We'll see if they get Cindergaard back. It seems like it's always something there. We'll see if he – comes back and helps him down the stretch. Uh, Taiwan Walker was a great signing for him. Mm-hmm. Marcus Stroman's been good. Uh, if DeGrom, if he doesn't have a serious you know, injury, I think he's okay. He's been probably the best overall player in baseball this year. So uh, they have a lot going for him. Certainly the vibe has changed there under new ownership. I think the Braves are going to be competing with this team for a long time. I think that the Mets are going to be a team that you know, they're going to have a huge payroll. And they have stars. And the Braves-Mets rivalry, it's simmering a bit again, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, It's going to be fun to really follow these teams because I think both of these teams are going to be set up for success for a long time. And I know the Braves are kind of having an off season right now. But, I mean, those things happen, and they could still turn it around. But it was just seven and a half games. Now it's six and a half games. So, uh, you know, the next couple of weeks are really going to determine how this thing swings. Yeah, it's going to determine a lot for what the Braves have going on because they're going to see the Mets quite a bit before the month of June is over. But when we're talking about, and you mentioned, if the Braves were told they were going to be closer to the Marlins than the Mets, what would you expect the standings to look like if we're flashing back to opening day? I think you're right on the money. It would have been, well, maybe the Marlins have stepped to the top of the division and put everyone on notice in the National League East. But no, they're in fifth place. The Braves are kind of nestled right in the middle there. They are six and a half games out in the standings, but... Here's a couple of more interesting stats that might amaze you. The Braves have scored the most runs of any team in the National League East, and it's not particularly close. They've also allowed the most runs of any team in the National League East, and it might surprise you to know the first-place Mets, they've scored the fewest runs in the National League East, but they have a a four-and-a-half game lead over the second-place Phillies. This has been kind of a weird first 60-65 games to look at. When you look at stats like that, you would think, well, clearly, if you're scoring the most runs, you got to be in first place, maybe second place nipping on the heels of that first-place club, but... As we've seen, Gabe, nothing in 2021 has come easy or gone according to plan or looked the way that it's supposed to for the Braves. Yeah, that's kind of the 2021 Braves right there. That's <laughs> Yeah, the Mets' offense has been an issue at times for them, obviously, and they've had some guys out. They're going to get healthier, and, and that's a team, too. I think them and the Phillies, those are teams that are going to be motivated to make moves at the trade deadline. So I would expect both of them to kind of be aggressive in improving their clubs then, and we'll see kind of where the Braves are at that point. Mets and the Marlins, by the way, are the only teams with a positive run differential in the league, and they're the teams that are in first and fifth place, respectively, which is crazy to think about. Braves also the only team in the National League East with an under 500 record at home, and if you want to know why the Mets are in first place, they're 20-7 and at City Field. They've done pretty well. They also have that DeGrom guy. He's pretty good, and their overall pitching staff has been outstanding while their offense has struggled. So the Mets are kind of assembling, putting pieces back together, They still expect to pick things out of Francisco Lindor this year and for a long time to come, and they've got a good ball club, Gabe, and I think you're on it with this rivalry for these two teams, the Braves and the Mets. This may just be getting started. Even if the Atlanta club's kind of scuffling at the moment, 
you would imagine going forward for the next however many years, these are two teams that are going to be fighting it out in the National League East standing. So we'll see how that all plays out in the future. But as far as what's happening in the month of June, there's a lot for the Braves to be focused on, including three more games against the Cardinals this weekend. But then all of a sudden, you're going to see the New York Mets four times in three days because there is that doubleheader you talked about earlier on Monday. A good chance the Braves, if DeGrom is healthy, are going to see him in that four games. I wouldn't imagine they'll miss him this time around. Then you got to go to Cincinnati to Great American Ballpark, and that can be kind of a nightmare for pitching staffs. And then you close out the month of June with three more games at home, though, against the New York Mets. So, Gabe, seven games against the Mets before the month of June is over, or, well, I guess July 1st is the finale of that series. But in the next couple of weeks, the Braves are going to be spending a lot of time getting to know the New York Mets, and we may know a lot about what the National League East standings are going to look like at that time. It should give us a lot of answers. Their first road trip after the All-Star break, they go to Philly and New York, so that one's looming too. Mm -hmm. Um, in mid-July. So, yeah, lots of games against the Mets, and if those go poorly for them, then that's probably a wrap, you know, as much as you can say that, I guess, in late June and early July. But this is their chance. I mean, they keep talking about, you know, we believe we can make a run. We believe we can turn it around. Well, this is the perfect opportunity to do so. You just said the Mets are 20-7 and at home. Well, you're Mm -hmm. about to play four games in Queens. Probably going to have Mueller starting one of those games. You're going to be facing DeGrom, probably. So, It'll be interesting, but, you know, if you're the Mets, if again, if they just split these games, I mean, that's a loss for the Braves because they're far enough behind. They've got to make up some real ground with these head-to-head games. This is the perfect opportunity to do it. You can't bank on the Mets just collapsing. You can't bet on them just falling apart. You have to make the most of these head-to-head opportunities, and this is a great chance to claw your way back into this thing before the All-Star break and then just – if you can close the gap here, you go into the All-Star break, guys can breathe, I think – Certainly these guys would benefit from a mental break like that. Mm-hmm. And then you enter the second half and you're within, if it's a three-game deficit or whatever, then you have to be feeling pretty good, all things considered, about the way that feeling pretty good is a bit strong. But you have to be feeling okay with where things are given everything. But but that's a big hypothetical because the way this thing has been trending, it hasn't been trending that way. So basically this is the time to turn around. If you're going to have a run here – pre-All-Star break, uh, make the most of these games against the Mets and and get yourself back into this thing. Yeah, you want to take a bite out of this lead, which again is at six and a half games heading into the weekend. And still, the Braves could beat up on the Cardinals and the Mets could lose three games coming into that series and things could look a lot different three days from now. Do I expect that to be the case? No. I think you got to handle each day as it comes right now, especially if you're the Braves and if you're a fan of the Braves, which would be why you're listening to this podcast. I think you do have to take it a day at a time, win that game, concentrate on winning series. I know that that's an old thing that probably goes all the way back to the Bobby Cox days, but you just keep taking two out of three. You're going to find yourself in a pretty good place as you head towards the, well, really the all-star break first. And then as you head on down the stretch, that would also be a good thing to do. Just keep winning series. Braves need to concentrate on that. When you do look at that Mets series, it starts again on Monday after they're done with the Cardinals. It is on the road, but the Braves should be able to throw Ian Anderson, Charlie Morton, and Max Fried in that series. Sure, you're going to face DeGrom. If he's healthy, you're going to be facing, would imagine, Marcus Stroman in one of those games as well. So it could be a challenging series for the Braves, but I don't think they'd have it any other way. And the Mets certainly won't have it any other way because they're the team in the catbird seat right now as we head towards the end of the month. But seven games between these two clubs, that's a huge opportunity to swing or at least take a bite out of the lead that the Mets have built up over the Braves. And then you have to vault over the Phillies at some point But if you're Atlanta and you head out on this long road trip, which is four games in New York, including the doubleheader, 
and four games in Cincinnati. You've got to win that series in Cincinnati as well. Otherwise, you may take that momentum you grab in New York and flush it right down the drain. And Gabe, unfortunately, I think we've seen the Braves go on that roller coaster ride where it's the highest of highs for a moment and then the lowest of lows 72 hours later. Yeah, I mean, remember the Dodgers series was supposed to be something that maybe pulls them out of it, and then you have the Philadelphia, the two games there, um, and how poorly those ended. So, yeah, I mean, heck, you could take three out of four in New York only to fall apart in Cincinnati, and it's all for naught. So, but I, I do think you know getting some wins over the Mets would be good in the standings and be good mentally for them to kind of get back in it. But we'll see because if you're the Mets, you're looking at this going, this is our chance to really, really deal a blow to them. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, the Braves are still – they're the team to beat until they're out of it. They're the three-time division champs. I mean, they're still very talented. Uh, whatever you want to say about, you know, their inconsistent performance and everything, they're still a team that, you know, if things start to click, they could go on a real run. And everyone knows that. Even if you don't believe it's going to happen, you can acknowledge that it's a possibility. So if you're the Mets, you're looking at this going, let's really deal a blow to these guys. Let's push them so far back that they kind of have to just kind of stand still at the trade deadline or not get too aggressive uh, coming after us. So if you're the Mets, a big opportunity for them as well. So it, I'm really looking forward to that series. It's going to be a lot of fun to watch. Yeah, you take three out of four in that series, you're able to inch back into it. You need to do that. You split the series, as Gabe pointed out. You're treading water. That doesn't really help you out at all. But if you somehow lose all four games of the Mets head-to-head, the Braves could very easily find themselves with a double-digit deficit in the standings, and that's not a place that you want to be. As you're heading towards the month of July, really, it's not a place you want to be at any point in the season. I don't care when it is. But uh, that aside, the Braves know what they got to do, and they're about to get the head-to-head opportunities against the first-place team in the division to try to climb back and find some momentum, get on that run. I know we talked about this probably, well, it's been three or four weeks now, but I just kept thinking, hey, the Braves, as you pointed out, they do have some talent on this team. There's been some underperformance here. There's been a lot of inconsistency here. There's been some injuries and other stuff, but every club is dealing with that. If you need a good example of it, Just look at the New York Mets. They've had to overcome quite a bit to be where they are, but there is a lot of baseball left to be played, and the Braves still have that opportunity, at least, to get on that run and make that run and turn this into a race. And I think that would be a pretty fun way to spend the summer. I don't know about you. Yeah, it'd be fun to talk about something other than uh, exactly what we've been talking about now for (laughs) since April 1st. All right, well, thanks for joining me on this week's Braves Groundhog Day podcast. I really appreciate you as always, Gabe. I know it's been a lot more lows than maybe we anticipated, but then again, once you start playing the schedule, the spring training games are done, and you got to get through the 162. Anything and everything can happen, and the Braves are going to have to overcome some of their hardships and uh, find a way to turn this into a race, and they got a big opportunity looming here before the month of June is over, and as you pointed out, they'll get the Mets again around the All-Star break or just after the All-Star break, and that will be a big opportunity too. So we'll see how that all plays out. But Gabe, I appreciate your time as always, and I look forward to catching up with you soon. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me. Thanks as always to Gabe Burns for making some time to join the show, and thanks again to you for tuning in to From the Diamond week in and week out. As you may already know, you can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. If you like what you've been hearing, I'd appreciate it if you share it with a friend. Maybe give the show a rating. Either of those two things will help me out immensely. You can find me on Twitter at Grant McCauley. The show is at FromTheDiamond underscore. On Instagram, I'm at Grant McCauley. The show is at FromTheDiamond with no underscore. And, of course, every episode of the show, all the videos and articles and anything else I got for you is at FromTheDiamond.com. 
That'll wrap us up for this week. Appreciate you making From the Diamond part of your baseball podcast regimen. And I look forward to catching up with you next time right here on From the Diamond. Until then, I'm Grant McCauley. So long, everyone.